psychology. It's more than a philosophy, more than a psychology, more than just an ecology, bigger than biology, larger than anthropology, brushes against astrology. That's prophecology. God bless you. This is Master Prophet E. Bernard Jordan, and welcome to today's podcast. I am honored today that I have one of my professors that taught me New Testament here at Virginia Union. And um, this distinguished professor, Boykin Sanders, a professor of the New Testament studies in Greek and senior research scholar in religion and culture. He has served as a visiting professor at James Madison University. University, Lutheran Theological Seminary, Palmer Theological Seminary, Payne Theological Seminary, and has lectured on a broad range of topics focusing on religion, culture, politics in the United States, the Caribbean, and throughout Africa. And so we're going to just talk today, and um, he has done so much work. But one of the things I found out when I was um, doing my research, Dr. Sanders, is that you were the third African-American to get a Ph.D. in theology from Harvard. Is that correct? Well, um, to correct that, yes, I would say that it is in New Testament and Christian origins. Good. Okay. New yeah. Testament and Christian origin. Tell us, what was that like going into that during that time for you to be coming through Harvard um, university. Well, the thing that I liked about Harvard University, and not that I'm promoting it, right? But it didn't. I didn't go there to learn religion. I went to sort of develop a kind of methodology by which I could tackle the great issues of religion, especially phenomenology, uh, in terms of uh, how religion is passed, how culture informs religion, how politics informs religion, and how religion is understood as a response uh, to the needs of people or people's needs were addressed through it. And so I didn't study theology as such. I was concerned about critical thought, critical perspectives on religion and how religion was used in the ancient world, you know, to help people to navigate that world, and especially people who uh, were out of the loop, so mm. to speak, were not in the loop, but outside of the loop. They yes. were basically outsiders, and I wanted to especially, you know, uh, see how that worked. And Christian traditions at the time, wow. you know, from the very beginning, it was a group of dispossessed individuals and the question is, is how they responded, you know, to that kind of world and how they understood Jesus or their religious leadership and that kind of thing. Yes. 
Now, you did a book called Blowing the Trumpet in Open Court, Prophetic Judgment and Liberation. Um, what made you write this book, or what inspired you, I should probably say, Blowing the Trumpet in Open Court? Well, I had become somewhat disillusioned uh, after the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, uh, wherein the so-called benefits of the movement were now in vogue. Mm -hmm. And what was happening to black people uh, during that movement, wherein they were controlling their communities to communities that they were now being incorporated in, but without control as such. Now, I'm not saying that we always had control of anything in America, Mm -hmm. But there was a semblance of control, yes, especially forged by the behavior of segregation, where a necessity became the mother of invention. Mm. You know, and black folks were able, in some sense, to develop worlds, or I would say a world in a world. And so here, all of this was being dismantled, in my view. Yes. I grew up in a rural area in South Carolina, and... We had farms, we had businesses, we had all sorts of things, you know, because no one else would allow us in their arena. Right. And so I started to, uh, I called myself speaking out about these issues in that particular text, blowing the trumpet, because when a trumpet is sound, there is, is uh, at least in traditional culture, uh, an, an important announcement is being is about to be made yes. you know, to people. So that then inspired me you know, to write that. And the incident that really uh, made it unstoppable, that is the development of this manuscript, was the situation uh, wherein there was a bombing in Africa. Uh -huh. uh, that is uh, in Kenya and Tanzania. And the question was... Uh, basically, um, why these bombings, when that was not the, the, the natural theater, so to speak, mm -hmm. of so-called terrorists, you know, during the period of time. And for me, you know, terrorists were really uh, similar to our, us right. in the sense that they were fighting for freedom or liberation in their own lands, but were, in some sense, branded by the imperial powers as folks who were lunatics, mm -hmm. mad individuals, and so on, and that they were out to destroy other people for the most part. So that then caused me, in some sense, to put this down on paper because I saw us as black suffering people in America a side that is siding with those individuals who blame and demonize these individuals as terrorists. Mm -hmm. And so I started talking about the fact that we shouldn't brand them as terrorists, mm -hmm. but brand them as freedom fighters. Yes. You know, and that's the kind of thing that drove me to this. Uh, so it was in the late 90s and beginning in 2000 and so on, that I started to do this. Wow. And I, it drove, you know, it's kind of insatiable appetite that I had for trying to put on paper what I had been thinking 
for a number of years, hoping that enough people would read it so that they could indeed um, do something very different about life. Um, I had met in Ghana, for example, the uh, Sankofa, mm-hmm. um, you know, bird, so to yes. speak. Tell uh, us more about symbolic. the Sankofa. Well, it means go back, go back to your roots. <laughs> you know, basically, it's about a, about a mythic bird in the culture signifying uh, flying forward and at the same time looking back to pick up something that you may have lost and taking it forward with you. And for me, you know, in religion, that that became, uh, if you want to talk about, uh, you know, the whole issue of repentance. Yes. See, repentance for me then became go back to your roots. Go back to your roots. Yeah, go back to your roots because... In prophetic religion, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Prophetic religion is go back to, to generally go back to your root, roots, and there you will find the necessary guidance you need to move forward. You see, in other words, the ancestors still speak, yes. so to speak. You see, so that is why I, 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 I wrote the, that book and I dealt with those kinds of issues. And then at the end of the text, I basically asked, us to consider some ways by which we might institute, reinstitute something that we had lost and left wow. you know, behind. So let me ask you something, Dr. Sanders. Um, you talk also in the book a little bit about deconstruction. Yes. How important is deconstruction before there is a reconstruction? Well, I think you, we need to know exactly what we have constructed mm-hmm. so that we have we can deconstruct because I think that what we have constructed basically is killing in some sense our efforts and aims to be free, mm. to be free, you see? And so, so the question is, what does freedom look like? What does freedom look like? like that, that, that's the question, you see, because in the culture we have been told that freedom is a kind of movement from one place to another one, you know, and, uh, and in, in this desire, in some sense, to fit in with America sometimes, we, 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 we renounce what was good and go after what has stifled us to a great degree uh, without really ever considering what this opportunity um, is going to, will I mean what it will do you know for 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 our, uh, our communities if fully participated in without critical imagination and that kind of thing so that is that is what I I was I'm saying you have to reconstruct deconstruct and reconstruct mm-hmm. you know let, let's take a, take an example yes in the days of slavery you know here in America. Um, when we, in, in the early years, uh, all of the names of, uh, not all of the names, I shouldn't say that, but what many, many of our institutions had the, had the language African in it. Okay. There was the, the first African church, the yes. first African this, African that, and so forth. But then it came a time in the community when black folks 
found out that they were going to be here for a long time, mm-hmm. they became accommodationists in the sense that what they started to name themselves was they didn't want to be like so-called savages of Africa, so they named themselves colored. Okay. You see? And then it became, you know, Negro, and which had been there for a long time. Yeah. It became Afro, Afro and this and so on and so on. And then it became black folks, and yeah. then it became yeah. this and this. Now the question is, can we get any guidance from our roots uh-huh. that will help us with our own identity issues? That is the concern that I have. So in other words, the deconstruction, we have to deconstruct in order to reconstruct. And so freedom for me is not an individual pursuit. It's a communal activity. It's a, wow, it's not. So this takes me to another point yeah. you made in the book, which I love, and this has stuck with me. I remember this from class. I am because we are, mm-hmm. and we are because I am. Yes. What would you say? What that's, would, an, <laughs> that's an old African adage, but it is true. Without other people, we cannot survive. I am because we are, and, I, and we are because I am. That means that everybody in the community should be participating in the project of black survival and black life and a black future. The whole issue of bragging about, I am the first one to do this, and I am the first person to do this, and that, and so forth, that is, in some sense, a manifestation of class consciousness. That is, I am now separated from the community and I am not identified with this community, but I am in some sense trying to prove or trying to show that I am the exception. Uh-huh. I am an exceptional individual. Right. In our understanding of freedom, the exceptions don't exist. Yes. We're all in this together. We hang together and we do things together, you know, as people. Yes, so that's the, I am because... We are, and we are, because I am an old African adage, yes. you know, that has been in our uh, consciousness. Even though when we didn't use it verbally, the way we practice life before this movement, especially in the 1950s, 60s, and so on, where people became more individualized mm-hmm. than they had prior uh, prior to. Let 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 me say that in in terms of the biblical world. Yes. Say something about the biblical world. Jesus is understood as Jesus of Nazareth. Mm, okay. <laughs> he, he, he belongs to a community. Wow. It is in the case of, his, um, of Joseph of Arimathea. Yeah. He, he is Joseph of Arimathea. There is Paul of Tarsus. You, you get me? Yes. And, and so... People did not have this individual identity. That is what has messed us up. Wow. Saul of Tarsus. Of Tarsus. You're right. You see? Or he belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, yes. That is what, what, what is going on here. See? So, or John, James and John, sons of Zebedee. You see? So this uh, a relationship. 
But what we have done is that we have individualized it, and that is that is partly our problem today, so, or mostly our problem today, so because of individualism. So let me ask you something. So the disconnection from roots begin to become a really a fall of man, and um, so. Let's talk about this because I love when you came into our class and talked about as soon as my feet touch Zion. Mm-hmm. How important is it for the African to go back to Africa? I think it is crucial. I think it is crucial. I think you're going to get your orientation. Where I get my orientation, I have been in Ghana, for example, more than 52 times. More than 52 times. More than 52 times. And you live here in America. I live here in America. And I have taken many people, you know, I would say, you say more many, than 800. More than 800 people. People to Ghana, you know, and I've taken our people of all persuasions there, you see. But where I get my orientation is in the castle, so-called castle, the dungeons, yes. in the, at the door of no return. Now, for those of you that are listening, um, this is Dr. Boykin Sanders, and we are talking about he does journeys to Africa. And I think the world started hearing more about it when um, Mrs. Obama went to um, when they called the slave castle and talked about the door of no return. So just so people that may not be aware of that, tell them what those what the castle was like and... Yes. what people would experience there when yes. they go with you. Yes. What we have is a history behind the castles. You know, when the Portuguese came there uh, first, yes. you know, to um, help themselves <laughs> to Ghana and to other places like in Brazil and all kinds of other places in the world. And what you have is how people were brought from the interior of Africa, sold from station to station, you know, and moved, say, if you think about North Africa, mm-hmm. if you think below the Sahara, yes. you're talking about moving people, large numbers of people, millions of people over centuries from the interior of Africa to the coast. And along the coast, that's the Atlantic coast, and in Ghana we call it the Gulf of Guinea, you have all these castles there where they were eventually made into slave-holding pens, so to speak. Yes. And there they prepared these, uh, our people you know, for the long journey into exile. That is, crossing the Atlantic and moving into what we call the Atlantic world or the New World. And so that is what I seek to get us in touch with. But a greater concern I have is this. Well, we'll put it this way. When I first went to start going to Ghana mm-hmm. in 1995, I've been there every year since, wow. since 1995. I, when I first started going there, I had become disillusioned with our situation in America. I was thinking that maybe in Africa I could find something that would help this hollow in the soul, Mm. in my own soul. And so I went to all of these African countries, 15 in all, and then eventually, that is over the years, and eventually settled on a pattern of going back and forth to Ghana. And one of the reasons for going to Ghana, 
other than the fact that I felt that I was lost and I needed to be found, was the fact that in Ghana, the, it was an English-speaking country. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, right. it, you, you, you could understand the language and that kind of thing. But more than that, you could understand the culture. Yes. And it made that bridge easier, or that chasm uh, between old world and new world much narrow because, uh, because of the fact that it was uh, uh, the same people in some sense, you know, on both sides of the Atlantic. So I sought in some sense to bridge this gap and I wanted communication to take place between the continent of Africa and the diasporic world. And, you know, in biblical studies, which I'm in, yes. I, I, a lot, some of this was informed by the fact that the biblical tradition itself is about an enslaved people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about an enslaved people. And not just one enslavement, but, but more than one. And one of these enslavements had been in Babylon. And they, uh, in their Psalms, they say, uh, if I forget Zion, may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. Mm. Or down by the rivers of Babylon, they required of us a song. And we sang, he said, how can we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? And so, uh, if I forget thee, O Zion, mm. may my ro- tongue cleave to the, the roof, roof of, of, my of my mouth. And so, what I thought about is this, is that my Zion is not in Israel, mm-hmm. but is in Africa. Yes. So when I go there, I go to Africa to get myself empowered for the fight that is necessary in the exilic world. Wow. And I don't forget where I have come from. I'm reminded of Sankofa every day. I try to organize my life in such a way that it re- is reflective of that. Yes. That my Sankofa, my Sankofa, my moments, you know, in terms of my return and coming back into exile to struggle and forge ahead with what is necessary here. And, and for me, what is necessary here in the kind of situation we have now is to get involved in projects as the prophets always did to restore the people. To restore the people. To restore the people. And, 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 uh, and that's, that's a heavy, heavy responsibility for us because of the fact that uh, of what has transpired for more than 500 years since the time of Columbus, you know, until now in the Western world. Uh, it's, it's a great project, but as we say in religion, all things are possible. Yes, all things are possible, but um, but impossibility is not allowed here. It is possible, and so so we 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 got to work on it. And so that's why why I've been doing uh, this bridging, you know, for as long as I have. Wow. Now you also go to Ethiopia. Why Ethiopia? I wanted to introduce or at least introduce my students and others to a religion or to a tradition in Christianity that did not get its cues as such from the West or from the Catholic West. It got it from the East. 
Yes. And therefore, Ethiopia is a group of black people that have, they have a distinguished history uh, in Christianity, but it is not the Christianity that we know in the West. And so I wanted to introduce them to that. I'm not, by the way, I don't go to Africa to do missionary work, not <laughs> in the traditional sense. Right. I don't do that. I don't go there to tell people that they don't know God. Mm. I don't go to do that. That is forbidden yeah. as far as I'm concerned because the people already know God. Yeah. They don't need anyone to tell them that they don't know God, you see. So what I want, what, what I want, to, want us to do is in some sense engage in Sankofa moments. Mm. Repentance for me is leaving America, going to Ethiopia, and introducing our students and others to a tradition in Christianity that does not necessarily agree with the West. Wow. And what it does is it allows flexibility in the community. It allows variety in the community. And it recognizes that we have come from various traditions and religions in Africa. Mm -hmm. And there is a common concern that we have, especially in the modern world, and that is to dismantle in, to some degree, if we can, what has been bequeathed to us over 500 years of suppression, oppression, etc., in the Western world. In other words, we want our people to live again. Yes. We are like Ezekiel who said, I look on the valley of the dry bones, and I ask, can these bones live? Can these bones can live? Can these bones live? And they, they, they can live again. And then he prophesied and said, hey, these bones are getting together. And I think that is our duty in America, is to restore our people, because we have basically died. We have died. And there are movements in America uh, in terms of post-civil rights movement, the post-civil rights era that has caused us in some sense to die even more. And now it is time for us to repent, to repent. And repent is go back to your roots. Wow. Well, let me say this. Um, you're listening to Dr. Boykin Sanders. We're going to come back. Um, we, we, this interview is no way near over, nowhere near over. And uh, we want you to listen to some of the announcements. And we're going to see, can we get him to come back? I want him to talk about a disease. Um, the um, Africans in America today is rooted in a particular disease. And um, we'll come back with that in part two. If you would like to know what that disease is, then you stay connected with us. Because you may discover you have this disease and it is something that we are going to need to get ready to um, address. I want to say that you can go on to Amazon.com and you'll be able to get his book, Blowing the Trumpet in Open Courts by Boykin Sanders. And we'll make sure we'll get a picture of that. He also did um, some work in the New Testament commentary as well. And um, 
He's done some work. It was it on the book of Corinthians, was it? Yes. Yes, in the book of Corinthians. So we are going to be blessed with him. Thank you so much for being a part of us. And I want you to listen up to some of the things and events that we have going on because we want you to know that you are going to be blessed. This is Master Prophet Eben R. Jordan, your most trusted name in prophecy, letting you know that destiny is not left up to chance, but it is a matter of choice. God bless you. Peace. To keep in touch with Master Prophet E. Bernard Jordan, go to www.bishopjordan.com and follow him on all social media platforms. To get more information about the Prophecology Conference and or more special events, go to www.zoeministries.com or call 888-831-0434. Thank you and stay blessed.